Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for anybody who's interested in pushing the idea of education beyond what it is in its current state. I'm Rob McLeod, and as always, joined by the green-shirted Brendan O'Leary. How are you today, Brendan? I, I, I'm not bad, Robert. And your sound? Good enough. Good enough. That's been my line this week. Busy days. They are. Onwards and upwards. Where are we at today, Robert? What are we looking at in today's episode? Well, let's begin with what has become a habit for us, which is basically to say, if this is your first time listening in, we would recommend that you go back to our 50th episode entitled uh, Start Here 2.0, A Map for Reinventing Education, um, because there we lay out kind of all the terminology that we'll be using in this episode. So where we're at today is we've got this idea that there's three kinds of school, traditional school, mainstream school, and progressive school. Right now we're digging deep into the nuts and bolts, all of the details of what a mainstream school is. And we are now at the point of looking at staff. So both the staff structure, but also the staff ethos, like kind of the the internal ideas of, of what you might hear in a mainstream school, or probably more so. You're never going to go to a school that's entirely traditional or entirely mainstream or entirely progressive. What you're more likely to get is a bit of a, a salad bowl mix of all three of those schools within one building. And more so a mix of teachers that are more in alignment with a traditional approach, a mainstream approach or a progressive approach. And what we're trying to dig into today is looking at the mainstream approach to school and to look at kind of the software or like the beliefs, the wiring, the ethos of teachers who might be more in alignment with a mainstream school. Anything I'm missing there? Only that maybe we could look at this as the culture, the internal culture, the relationships between the staff. Yeah, the shared beliefs. Not so much the relationship, yeah, the shared beliefs, not so much the relationship with the students, the teacher-student relationship, or even with parents, we will come to that later, but the internal set of beliefs and culture between staff at a school, the team, how does the team operate? And in a mainstream school, it very much is a team. And a team of people who've found their place in the team, in theory, by being the most qualified or having the most merit for that role. So should we dig into some of the characteristics and look at the babies and the bathwaters, the pros and the cons of this mainstream approach? Why not? That's why we're here, Rob. So what is the ethos of the mainstream staff? If we had to boil it down to a few things, and again, you will see elements of this in both a traditional and in a progressive school, but I would say you're going to see it magnified and amplified within the mainstream school. You're going to see transparency, a desire to make the school's methods, their approaches known and understood. There's nothing really to hide in a mainstream school. There's nothing that shouldn't be shared with anybody else, as well as looking at growth and growth using a variety of strategies. Essentially, just the idea that a staff member's potential, our potential is always on the table to be something that could be grown and developed. It's a team effort but with skilled individuals and a move towards more specialization within the school in terms of the roles. The world of education for mainstream staff is a world of opportunity. 
and change and growth. It's a team that has a goal, looking to accomplish that goal effectively, efficiently, and looking to see results. And continuing the team kind of analogy, there's a lot of internal competition within the team, but in its most positive form, it's a healthy competition where team players realize that supporting each other makes the entire team stronger and the organization stronger. One of the big ideas within a mainstream school is also that disagreement is absolutely acceptable. If you disagree with somebody else that you work with, as long as you can bring your argument, preferably a logical one backed up with some data, you'll be listened to and heard and your idea is as likely to be accepted as anybody else's is should you present it in, in a way that, that the team accepts that it is a, the best route forward for growth and achievement. And there's a chance if you're kind of new to listening to us, you might just be thinking like, well, of course, all of these things sound totally acceptable. And yeah, we'd agree within the mainstream school makes sense. We are in our narrative showing how this is not the case, though, in the previous version of school, in the traditional school, where there's more of a desire to keep what happens in the school closed within the school and not have that same degree of transparency. And, you know, there's common sense and traditional ways of doing things. And, you know, sometimes in a traditional school disagreements, you know, that is seen as a way of getting ejected out of the staff culture or to create disharmony in the team and structure and that security thing. So, you know, this is important just to show these differences that as time has gone on, there is this different staff culture that has emerged. So we always try to look at the, what we call the babies and bathwater of each of these ideas. The babies being the things that are beneficial and that we want to really keep hold of as we move forward. And so some of the things that the mainstream staff ethos might have that is really positive is that this openness to new approaches can lead to a more effective and a more efficient way for the school and the community to operate. I think the the idea that a mainstream school is really using logic and data to back up their progress but are open to these ideas does mean that growth will happen at a faster rate. And in many cases, that can be positive, especially if there's something holding back your school, making your form of education not as effective for the students. One of the ways you could think of this is there's still a place for emotional conviction. Emotional conviction can often inform a lot of the choices in a traditional school. But what we see in the mainstream school is you can still bring your emotional convictions, but bring your emotional convictions and some data. We're going to base ideas. We're going to base our openness to new approaches on data and not conviction alone. And this ties in heavily again to this idea of things being measurable. So underpinning the culture and the ethos of a staff in a mainstream school, you'll hear discussions come back to this idea of whether we can measure growth, whether we can prove that the things we are doing are effective. So just as arguments for new approaches require data and logic, when there are disagreements between staff, as we said, you know, you could kind of think of this as like a high level professional football team or NBA team, where you're kind of wanting everybody to push each other to be doing their very best. Where there are disagreements that can happen, Happen, those are acceptable as long as they're being addressed, you know, with fairness, logic, and attempt to compromise in the aim of best practice. And, you know, I might have to suck it up and not do what I had hoped to do because I see the data or the logic shows something else, but I'm willing to do that, willing to go along with it because I see it as a way to accomplish our shared goals. I think this idea of compromise is something that's really important to a mainstream ethos that is counter to a more traditional, which would maybe look to authority or tradition f for its precedence. Whereas this idea that 
There are two ideas and they may both benefit us, but we may need to meet in the middle. I think not to say that a traditional school never compromised or changed its ideas. I just think it's much, much more prevalent in a mainstream school. Well, the straw man version is in a traditional school, you may have someone with the, um, the emotional conviction of this is the right way to do things. Here's how we've always done it. Here's how I've always done it. You're telling me I need to change? You're telling me I'm wrong? That would be the straw man of the traditional teacher. The straw man of the mainstream teacher would be, oh, there's a new approach. Well, I don't, I'm not totally in agreement with it. It's not what I personally would want to do, but I have to do it because it ties to the larger school's system, the larger school's goals. And that's what I'm here to do to help the schools, to help the school accomplish its goals. But I would also say in a mainstream school, the member of staff might say, I'll compromise my own ideas to the larger aims of the organization, but they're just as likely to offer up their ideas and those ideas be accepted or partially accepted. I think that's less likely in a traditional school where the staff might keep those ideas to themselves or defer to authority, even though they might have some really interesting solutions. And again, not always. We are oversimplifying here. but it- So we've talked about a lot of the positives here. So the willingness to compromise, willingness to have some disagreements as long as you do the disagreements in a fair manner. Don't make it personal. You make it logical, make it data-driven, openness to new things, transparency. However, we always want to point out what are some of the drawbacks And you might hear a critique from a more traditional school saying that transparency isn't always in everybody's best interest. It can actually create a lot of problems and potentially also just maybe waste a lot of time where it's just not really all that necessary. There's also a sense that perhaps schools, once we get too caught up in measurement too caught up in progress, too caught up in recording, assessing. It becomes too cold, less human, and non-emotional, and very much by the book, and can begin to feel less like a family, less like a community, and bringing in more of that assembly line kind of feel of, hey, teachers have a goal, teachers have objectives they have to meet, that's what we're doing, that is certainly going to take precedence over any other possible priority. And I think we could hear this from either a more progressive school, staff, for a traditional staff that the mainstream school being very bureaucratic and having manuals and policies for everything, it's slowing down how individuals can move. And it's it's maybe putting barriers in the way of new ideas. And a progressive teacher might say, we just want to do it. I just want to get in here. I want to try this idea, try this idea. And, and you bringing in these mainstream systems, that means that I have to do several steps before I get there is actually stopping me from going ahead. Of course, the mainstream school would argue this builds sustainability and means that we're able to consistently provide these ideas and opportunities. But still, it can feel like all of these endless discussions and all of the processes are actually stopping us from getting in there and doing what needs to be done in the moment. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, almost the other extreme, you may hear a critique from the traditional minded teacher saying like, it seems like there's just constant change here. Like we're using our classrooms as a laboratory, constantly just seeing what works and measuring these effects and all this stuff. And and nothing's really getting rooted here in the school. And one year the kids are getting this and the next year we totally change this and you know it's one of the most common public critiques of the school system is this idea of the pendulum that takes something like writing and for a few years it's oh spelling doesn't matter and grammar doesn't matter it's the ideas based stuff and then we swing 
completely to the other way in public education of no, 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 we got to get back to phonics and we got to get back to the grammar rules and we got to back. And it's sort of like, well, wouldn't just sort of a more middle way approach that <laughs> tries to include both of those make more sense rather than swinging to extremes? And that idea for constant change in that we have to try something new to see if it can be more efficient and effective does bring with it potential drawbacks. So it's hard to know when you're going into a school as a new member of staff looking for a job, really whether it is more traditional mainstream progressive leaning, some leap out at you. It's obvious that this school is really progressive from everything we see, the website, the way people talk about it, or or an uber traditional school. But the fact is that 95% of schools are in kind of that mainstream band, but they may lean heavily progressive or heavily traditional. There may be some nuance in there that means that it could be a perfect fit for you or it could be terrible. You might be walking into the worst experience of your life. You and I, Rob, have have worked at probably 10 schools between us over the course of our career. Wanted to spend a little bit of time talking in this area of ethos and aligning yourself with the ethos about how we make our choices of the schools we apply to as a teacher and go working at and it may equally apply to parents who are looking for a place for their, their children. Yeah, give us a little bit on your experiences or how we as teachers maybe can make wise choices about the schools we work at so that our personal ethos is is in line with the culture because we've talked many times about the pain of being in a place where it isn't. Yeah, I hate to admit it, but you know, a lot of my employment seeking just came down to like, wow, I really have to just have a job, whether it was for international paperwork or just straight up like, I have Canadian bills to pay. So that's definitely a large driver that didn't allow me to have a lot of flexibility in terms of waiting longer periods of time until maybe something that seemed like a better fit came up. I'd say the longer I've been in my teaching career, the more my ideas about a school I want to be in have been influenced by our work here on this podcast and this idea of these three different kinds of schools. Even in more recent interviews, when I've been answering, I've used a lot of my time answering to actually ask questions with our map in mind to see, well, is this head of school who's interviewing me, are they more traditional, mainstream, or progressive leaning? You know, when I ask them about what is happening in the school, what is it that they emphasize? Is it these more traditional values, mainstream or progressive? And what I would say now, I have a feeling that should the time come that I apply to another school, I honestly think I would just give them like one of our checklists from our podcast. It would be a bold move, but I've realized that either you do know this up front, moving in, or you have a painful first year, painful first few months, potentially painful entire existence in a school, realizing that you are or you are not in alignment with the staff and school cultural ethos. It can be very difficult to view, first of all, just need a job. The majority of times we don't have the luxury of waiting it out, but we still try to make those wise decisions. And many of the schools I've worked at, I've thought, fantastic. There's always things to change, but made made the right decision. But the hard thing is that usually you get to talk to one person from the school. You might be lucky enough to go have a look around the school or, or have a chat with some of the staff. Maybe the website gives you some ideas, but you're working with really, really limited ideas. And even yourself, as you said, Rob, we've got we've got lots of background on these types of schools. And in theory, that should help us to work out a little more of the schools in line with where we want to be. But still, it's so hard because is the person you're speaking to, are they actually representative of the school in that way? I mean, everyone, every school and every person applying for a job puts their best face on 
puts the best spin on where they're at. And it's expected. And the fact is that makes it really, really difficult to actually dig into on the ground. Is this school quite as progressive leaning as it sounds? Obviously, I know it's a mainstream school, but lots of the things we're talking about in the interview are about giving students choice and really thinking about their wellness. It's really hard to turn around and say, is that true? It's like, do you actually, do you actually spend this much time? Or is it a tiny sliver of the truth for a few minutes in a month versus a deeply embedded thing? You've said this before about the, the sexiness of the progressive idea or or even to a more traditional school, the, the thrill of this mainstream idea that's pushing opportunity. So it might be you're hearing an aspirational view of the school. It's not false, but it's also not really what you'll experience day to day. Any hints and tips, Rob? I've probably now been in at least least a dozen interviews for different schools or different positions within a school. And to me, I, regardless of country, regardless of private or public sector, regardless of primary or secondary, I feel there's basically been five questions I've been asked in every single interview. Some basic question about classroom management, some kind of question about a certain specific subject, often math. A question about, you've got that difficult student, <laughs> that kind of a question, what would you do with them? And yeah, one or two about like, give us an experience where you either accomplished a goal or overcame a challenge with a student, those kinds of questions. So those are the questions I've been asked, which makes me think there's this very like monoculture approach to hiring, even though the schools themselves have been radically different schools. It was interesting to me that there's sort of this generic entry process. As far as actual tips go, I would just say if those are the questions you're being given, at least for myself at this point, I would express my personal preference, which is, you know, something that's going to lean more progressive, more post-progressive, but then be able to say, or rather ask, but would an approach like this, a more traditional approach, or approach like this, more mainstream, would this be more in alignment with what is currently happening in the school? And I would use a lot more of my time questioning and, and checking in with the actual school culture. And I will say there was an interview that, where I did that very explicitly, and I was offered the job. I chose not to take it for a variety of reasons, but they really appreciated that I was checking in. So for me, it was like, okay, that at least in that context, seemed to be a really effective strategy. You know, one question that as, as both someone looking for a job and as an interviewer, I found really effective is tell me a little bit about your assessment. Now we'll get to assessment a lot more later on, but it is one of the most radically different aspects of traditional mainstream progressive school. How do you know whether your students are making progress? Basically, trying to look for questions like that that really highlight the differences between the schools. But it's really hard. It's, it's hard to get those little details that'll give the game away. I think in short, one of the drawbacks of this as we were starting to say, is just in the mainstream school, people are trying to get a job <laughs> and there's a game, a filtering system, an interview process to get it. And winning the game of getting the job and winning the game of being an effective team member are two different games. And you might be really good at winning the get the job game, but you might once in the role 
not be as strong as the actual being a functioning member in the team game, and vice versa. Sadly, the people who may have been the best choice for the team didn't win the get-the-job game. Yeah, because I think in many cases an interviewer may be trying to fill a specific role inside the school and not necessarily be looking for the person that brings the ethos. The ethos is not always the first thing on the mind of the person who is making the decision about the employment. In many cases it is. I mean, when we're talking about who to employ in our school, of course it's about having a balance between does this person fulfill the roles and the, have the competencies, but also would they be a good fit for the school, the better schools, whichever, whichever traditional mainstream progressive would, would ask that question. We talk about the, the quadrants and the ways that we can analyze a school and it's not just about whether someone can slot into the systems or has the actual skills. It's also about can they fit into the culture and the ethos? Will they, will they build that side of the school that's equally or arguably more important? So we've talked about the ethos of a staff. I think it's time to move on to discussing the actual structure, the actual hierarchy, the system of the staff itself. And if we go back in our narrative and you look at the traditional school, of course, components of the traditional school you will still find in a school in 2020. But the actual like heart of the traditional school emerged out of more of the one-room schoolhouse or the community school. And at that time, you know, you're looking at a staff of one, <laughs> a staff of three, a very small staff structure, and essentially, you know, your job was to be the teacher. And that was more or less it, along with a handful of other duties to ensure the building and 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 well-being of everybody was taken care of. As schools continued to evolve over 200 plus years, the schools themselves and their structure, their hierarchy of staff, began to go into this evolution of becoming more specific and including a lot of new roles within a school. So we'll kind of just run through a list of roles you're most likely to see in a mainstream school. There will be a layer of leadership. So this would be heads of the school, heads of a department, vice principals, principals, whatever terminology your country uses. And one of the roles is a role that both you and I have held to some capacity of the role of a curriculum coordinator. The idea that you'd have one person who transcends any one department, but certainly does not have the authority of a head of school or vice principal, that kind of thing. But someone who is coordinating curriculum goals, overseeing the quality of assessments, overseeing that what we're doing is doing what we're saying it is. And, and again, with that idea that having someone like this allows us to co- accomplish our learning go- goals more efficiently and more effectively, then you'd have a layer of teaching staff. Now, within that teaching staff, there are further subdivisions. You might have specialist teachers for a certain subject. You might also have generalist teachers, probably more so in primary school, where it's one teacher who maybe stays with the class and teaches their languages, their math, their science, their art, etc. Also within this teaching group, you may have interns, student teachers who are going to become teachers who are integrated into the staff while they are there and may actually have some, some real duties within the school. We also have the layer of the clerical administrative staff or office staff. We may have cleaning and kitchen staff. We may have pastoral 
pastoral care. And maybe this pastoral role overlaps with some of the teaching or even leadership role. In pastoral care, we'd have clubs within school, sports within the school, clubs before or after school, outdoor trips, these kinds of things. Again, a, another subcomponent of this teaching layer would be the SEN teachers. So like special needs teachers, there might be an educational psychologist, career counselors, or emotional counselors, possibly even nurses within the school. And then as well, again, within this teaching layer, the support staff having teaching assistants, language support teachers, teaching assistants who are there for students with special needs, specifically as like one-on-one care. You know, there's this wide range of roles that you'd see in a mainstream school. I would argue you could probably go to almost any school in 2020, and you're going to see most of those within a mainstream school or within any school that you would go to. I think that's an interesting point that traditional mainstream and progressive in 2020 is likely to have very similar roles in a, in a lot of ways, but you may see more, especially more of the pastoral and special ed kind of roles emerging in progressive schools. You know, we talked about the one-room schoolhouse, which literally had one member of staff with one role. It's never quite been as simple as that, but the evolution of leadership and the evolution of teachers seems to have unfolded in a relatively logical way. We added more and more students, therefore we needed more and more teaching. And as more students went into higher education, universities became more of an expectation. Of course, in high school and junior high school, we separated classes more. And you might, if you're lucky in a bigger high school, have something as specific as astronomy or statistics. This kind of branching out as schools got bigger and and gave more opportunities for students. And of course, office staff would grow as schools became more bureaucratic and more communication was necessary, especially in private schools where fees and and such are are applicable. I think what's interesting to look at is the development of that pastoral and and special needs staffs. And in the, the 70s, we've talked about this a lot. There was a couple of periods where Maybe progressive education got a, a few, a little bit of time in the sun. Arguably, in the 1930s in the states, there were little pockets. In the 1970s, especially in Britain, there was a, a little bit of a, a swing towards a more progressive education. And I think this is where the idea of these pastoral, special needs teachers, support staff, kind of came out. And I know in Britain we had a Labour government that really promoted the idea in the 90s of classroom assistants and and, and investing and seeing school as a way to maybe balance out some of the socioeconomic kind of disadvantages that people might encounter. But as the pendulum swung back more mainstream, these roles didn't go away. They became more ingrained in the school and probably more defined. So if I think of those wraparound care, that pastoral before and after school clubs, they're, they're really, really common in Britain. In fact, they're basically offered in mainstream schools across the board. They're essentially there to allow working parents to have somewhere for those children to go from like 8am till 6pm. So even if they did emerge from maybe a more child-centered progressive mindset to give to give children and families more of a meaningful education, I think very much now so they're actually performing a different function. Agreed. And really the idea of having, you know, the, the most qualified person for the job and the person who is actually getting the results be the reason that you hold a position in the school and all of this specialization, it just allows us to have people's expertise being used and also allows staff to have a wide range of choices within a school. So there are more opportunities for staff within a school and a mainstream school 
compared to a traditional school because of this proliferation of specialization. One thing I was going to kind of touch on was the idea of the emergence of the special needs teachers and psychologists and counselors. It is, these emerged from a period of time where it was more left-leaning, but they quickly became more mainstreamized. Yeah, I think the special needs education, for example, it can be done for many different reasons. And I would say that most often the focus I have seen has been what area of the curriculum is this student having the biggest difficulties? Well, let's create goals based around curricular achievement for this student. So the idea that SEN special needs education teachers can be there for a variety of reasons, but I would say you see those special needs teachers within a mainstream school because they are there in order to further the goal of curricular achievement and curricular success. And I would say on that, that you're more likely to see a school with a SEN teacher than a counsellor in in Britain, for example, especially primary schools. And if you get into secondary schools or junior high schools, high schools, and you they do have a counsellor, you're still more likely to see an SEN team. And that, that does kind of show that the leaning is more towards the academic side and supporting academic growth. If you went to a more progressive school, you might be more likely to see counsellors. And an educational psychologist, if you've got one of those in your school, you're very lucky. A very valuable member of staff. It's um, at almost every school I've been at, we've had to organize to get an educational psychologist in. They are rare in the world of education, but they ideally work in conjunction with, this, with, with the SEN team and provide those services such as testing and things like that, that in a mainstream school system, what would happen, it w- you would have one, one educational psychologist that would work with 15 to 20 schools or so on. But that in itself is a testament to how the wider school system is structured. This very specialized role is still available to schools, even though it's quite hard to get. And this is because schools don't exist by themselves in a mainstream culture. They are part of a network. So I think it's time we look at a few of the drawbacks, because obviously this idea of specialization, special needs, support, all of these various roles to better meet the needs of children just makes a lot of sense. But when we actually look at the structure or how this is supported within the school, there certainly can be a few critiques. And I would say that one of them can be the unhealthy side of the mainstream school, where your focus is on looking at efficiency and effectiveness. And you may have these roles, and you may have multiple people filling some of these roles. But there is that time where maybe, you know, budget cuts roll around, or there's a new kind of political scent in the air, or, you know, student numbers are going down, or, well, all of a sudden, there might be that unhealthy look to effectiveness and efficientness and say, well, what can we cut here and still get the same results? And in a business sense, that makes sense. Like, let's trim the fat that is not producing. That's fine. But there will be this idea that we can cut things as long as students' scores aren't going down. And when there is that reductionism to just what is being measured, I think that's where you see a lot of these kind of less caring, less humane decisions being made within schools. And one of the ideas I've seen multiple times is, can we have a teaching assistant? Far less qualified, in many cases, very competent, but lacking the teacher training. Therefore, one would assume not with the same breadth of skills and experience. 
can we put the classroom assistant in charge of the class? And yeah, it, can we do this without the student's academic growth suffering? Which presents a somewhat limited view of the role of the teacher and the role of education. And I think this is the drawback we hit a lot with mainstream education in its less healthy iteration, where it will simplify school down to progress in that narrow band. And one would hope that the world of education is much, much broader than that. And then I think one last thing is just, there is also this idea as we're alluding to there that, you know, there's kind of a fixed amount of resources and yeah, you can maybe do something more, but it usually comes often at the cost of needing to have less of something. So, you know, let's have richer variety of pastoral programs. And it's like, okay, well, what are we going to have to cut or trim back a bit in order to allow for resources to be allocated there, that kind of thing. And as well, again, just this idea that there are goals in a mainstream school. Those are largely based around a curriculum. Those are largely based around improving student achievement scores, which we see as an inherent good, as something that is providing more opportunities for these students in the future. But again, it's we often use the comparison to the Olympics. It's like there's this closed predetermined set of events you'll participate and the criteria that will be used for you. And perhaps there is more potential and more possibility of how to spend a child's youth with a staff of of people than that. Yeah. And and as we lean more into the progressive paradigm. We have all of these members of staff working and they have their specialisms and then we all fall into these little boxes, might be the argument. But all of these humans are so much more than that. How can we organize the system whereas the students can drive where they're going and we can use the expertise and skills of everybody in our staff without putting them all into little boxes and saying, you're the math teacher and that's all you teach. You're the you're the SEN coordinator, so you can only work with these special needs students. I think the progressive school would be looking to free up the broader human set of skills and experiences within the community. All right. So there's a look at the ethos and a staffing structure within a mainstream school. Where are we going with this next, Brendan? We're going to look at something that becomes very important in the mainstream, which is the professional development of staff and how you evaluate staff growth. We may also get into the murky world of teacher planning, both individual and collaborative. As always, Brendan, I appreciate these deep dives. You and I were discussing this might end up being a 15-minute episode, and here we are. We've pushed ourselves to our maximum allotted record time. A lot of rabbit holes to get down and explore once we get into this. Agreed. Appreciate the chat. If you're out there in listener land, please send us a mail at reinventingeducationpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter. Thanks, Brennan. Thanks, Rob. 